John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 130 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a truly conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. When we last spoke, it was the day after the votes began to be counted in the election between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. At that moment, it appeared as if Donald Trump had lost, and the only question was about how much and whether or not he would concede, although there was still a theoretical path for him to somehow make a miracle comeback. Since then, things have turned out almost exactly as we told you that they would. At the time last week, I said that uh, the only real path for Donald Trump to somehow pull this out would be for Arizona— to suddenly flip. And I told you that there was a very good chance that even though Joe Biden was leading significantly in Arizona, that that vote total would diminish. And it has diminished. However, it has not diminished enough to where anybody uh, who is credible and objective thinks that uh, Donald Trump is likely to end up winning Arizona. The other part of the path was for him to come back in Georgia, where it was looking like he was about to lose His lead at that time, he did, in fact, lose the lead. And now Arizona and Georgia are pretty much in the same boat as far as the number of votes yet to be counted and the lead that uh, Joe Biden has over uh, Donald Trump. The big fish, though, of course, was always Pennsylvania. I told you for years that this election was all about Pennsylvania, and it has turned out to be exactly that, where in Pennsylvania the massive 
enormous lead. And I, I told you <laughs> last week I still wasn't sure that that lead would completely diminish uh, because it was so large by Donald Trump on election night. And then it just uh, continued to dwindle and shrink and shrink as this tidal wave of mail-in ballots from Democrats in big cities, specifically Philadelphia, who were obviously afraid to go to the polls, and therefore they mailed in their ballots, and their ballots took longer to count than anybody else's. It was all perfectly logical. The same thing happened in Detroit. The same thing happened in Milwaukee, in the key states of Michigan and Wisconsin. Of course, the Trump fans now think that this is uh, all a massive conspiracy against their hero, their cult uh, hero, Donald Trump. All I know is what's on the Internet. And the reality is that it's all just bullshit. I love the poorly educated. There, there's no evidence for it. There's no logic uh, to it. We'll get to some of that as we go along in this particular episode. Uh, but even in Pennsylvania, eventually it turned out that uh, the votes went against Donald Trump. It is now clear that Joe Biden is going to win Pennsylvania. He's going to end up winning the presidency by a significant margin in the Electoral College vote. As a matter of fact, it appears, assuming that everything stands as I just told you, and Biden is, in fact, the winner in Pennsylvania and in Georgia and in Arizona. Now, none of those are—well, Pennsylvania has been called, but Arizona and Georgia are still theoretically uh, up for grabs. Assuming that all those states stay as they currently are, uh, Joe Biden would win the presidency— by a, uh, a total of 306 electoral college votes, which is exactly the same number that Trump won in 2016. Correct. It also happens to be the exact same number that I predicted in my column for Mediate the day before the election that Biden would win on his way to victory over Donald Trump. Correct. So the irony is quite steep and great that uh, uh, you know Trump is going to end up losing by the exact same margin in 2020 that he won in 2016. It's ironic, obviously, because of the symmetry, but also because Donald Trump was one who tried to claim that in 2016 his victory was massive. It was so large. It was a record-breaking victory. He said this numerous times, even though it was not. He lost the popular vote, and he barely won the Electoral College. There was basically about 100,000 votes, which if they had flipped in three key states, he would have lost. Now, that's not the closest election we've ever had in history, but it's very close. And you could argue that it was even closer than what is likely to end up being the final result here in 2020. But let's give Trump the benefit of the doubt. 2020 is basically just going to be the mirror reflection of 2016, which is basically what I predicted all along, that we were going to redo the 2016 election, but this time it was going to turn out in the opposite direction because this time the wind was in the face of Donald Trump, it was at the back of Joe Biden, and Democrats were not complacent. And in this particular situation, because of the pandemic, we have massive mail-in voting, making it even easier for Democrats who are not complacent to make sure they voted. Now, in Donald Trump's mind, somehow this is a sign of fraud, that this is a sign of rigging. Uh, and this is something he's talked about for years. He talked about it before the 2016 election. And in my opinion, that was purely as a way of him trying to create an excuse in case he lost. Well, he ended up winning, much to his own surprise. 
And then now in 2020, he's breaking out the same exact excuse. He said several times the only way he loses this election is if it's rigged against him. Correct. And his cult has completely jumped on board that way of thinking. And his cult is probably stronger now than it has ever been, especially since, let's face it, Donald Trump lost, but he got a hell of a lot of votes. He got well over 70 million votes nationwide, despite an unprecedented media attack against him, despite being accused of killing, effectively, over 230,000 people because of the coronavirus pandemic, which was just absurd. It's just flat out ridiculous. But that's what the media did. That's how much against him they were. That absolutely energized his base because they were infuriated by it. They knew how unfair that was. And so everybody turned out. It was record turnout in every possible way. The votes were counted in a very logical fashion. But there's make no mistake, Trump showed just how incredibly popular he is among the Republican base, both with his rallies and with the turnout, even in key states. He did not lose any of those key states because his people did not turn out. His people turned out in huge, huge numbers, and that has ramifications for the future of the Republican Party as well as the country as a whole. But let's just go through the timeline of how this all went down. So we spoke last Wednesday on the podcast. It sure looked as if Trump had lost. There was still this tiny path for him to make a comeback, especially if Arizona turned out as some had expected. It went in his direction, but it does not look as if he's going to end up winning Arizona. And without Arizona, he can't really get into the ballgame. Just to be clear what this theoretical path was and in the minds of Trump fans still is, you flip Arizona and Georgia and you get it into Pennsylvania. That's the key. You've got to get it into Pennsylvania because in Pennsylvania, you've got uh, a whole lot, bunch of things going on. You've got controversy over uh, the whole issue of naked ballots and the very weird rules that were created there as far as what uh, ballots would be accepted, which would be legitimate, which would not be legitimate. You've got a, a major city there in Philadelphia, which is a Democratic ruled, has a history of corruption uh, that came in with a ton of votes for Joe Biden. Now, to be clear, this is, you know... <laughs> It's very, very difficult to prove a negative. So how do you prove that corruption did not happen? And in the in the minds of the Trump voter and now most of the Republican Party, unfortunately, because they have to obey the orders of their king, Donald Trump, somehow anything that is a result that doesn't feel right or is in, in some way a, a contradiction to what they were expecting is inherently fraudulent. Not just it's not just reason for skepticism. It's inherently ipso facto evidence of fraud. Now, that's not the way this is supposed to work. (laughs) You're supposed to have actual evidence of something that you're going to make a claim that's that dramatic. You're claiming that an election was stolen. That, that, That requires enormous evidence. That is an incredibly serious allegation, one that should only be made under the most dramatic of circumstances. And here you're just making it based upon, well, you know, look, uh, it's just amazing that uh, how these votes came in at the last minute and they all went for Joe Biden. And statistically, this doesn't make sense to us. That's bullshit. It's bullshit in principle, but it's also bullshit in practicality, because actually it turns out that in many of these states, the polls were largely right. In Pennsylvania, specifically, the polls were right. The final polls indicated that uh, Joe Biden would win by a point or two. Now, Trump did better than that, it looks like. 
Um, we don't know because we don't have all the votes counted yet. But the reality is this was not some sort of bizarro world result that is completely in contradiction with everything we know. But here's what we also know. See, we have this thing called the 2016 election. And I have used that as the touchstone. I mean, I, I've looked at this entire 2020 as basically uh, a mulligan, to use a golf term. This is, this is a provisional shot. You get to redo it. And, you, and when you do that, you have the knowledge that you gained in 2016. So we have the vote totals from 2016 to compare this to. And guess what happened in Philadelphia? Philadelphia is the centerpiece of the entire theory that Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump and the Trump sycophants are throwing out there. Lindsey Graham, same thing. Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Well, in Philadelphia, guess what happened? This is where I grew up, by the way, and I'm fully aware. Philadelphia is a Democratic-run, corrupt city. No question about that. There is no question that most of the leadership in Philadelphia would fix the election against Donald Trump if they were able to. They would do that. That's not in question. Intent or, or desire, motivation, I get it. But you still have to be able to do it. And, if it, and there still has to be evidence that it actually happened. Well, bizarrely, and you know, I, I tweeted this out. Jake Tapper of CNN retweeted it, and I knew he probably would because he's, he's from Philadelphia, and so he understands this. Donald Trump actually got more votes out of Philadelphia in 2020 than he did in 2016. Correct. And it's not just because turnout was better because of the mail-in voting. It looks like his percentage of the vote is going to be higher in Philadelphia in 2020 than it was in 2016. Correct. And so what is the theory here? What is the theory that somehow there was a massive conspiracy to rig the election against Donald Trump using Philadelphia as the centerpiece of, of this scheme? Because that's where all the Democratic votes are, many of them. Not By the way, it's not just Philadelphia. I mean, you know, the, the whole... Uh, southeastern portion uh, of Pennsylvania has a huge population. Philadelphia really isn't that large of a vo voting block. It's not, you know, the Philadelphia County is is not all that significant. I mean, there's a huge margin for Biden out of there, just like there was for Hillary Clinton in 2016. And, and it's well more, way more than the margin uh, of victory is going to be statewide. But, you know, that doesn't mean anything because that's where all the Democratic votes are. Almost everybody in Philadelphia is a Democrat, the large black population, 90-some percent of which are going to vote uh, for the Democratic candidate, especially uh, Joe Biden. But it doesn't make any damn sense that if there was some sort of rigging, some sort of stealing, that Donald Trump's vote total would be better in 2020 than it was in 2016. In fact, you could argue the easiest way to rig an election is if you lose votes. Not if you create them. Creating votes is far more problematic, far more vulnerable to some sort of criminal prosecution, uh, uh, far more uh, you know, difficult to do, it takes far more effort. If you really want to rig an election, you get rid of votes for the other guy. Well, why didn't that happen? It didn't happen because there was no conspiracy. There was no conspiracy there. And you know who was saying that there was no conspiracy there? The Philadelphia police commissioner, who bizarrely, I didn't even realize this, happens to be apparently a Republican. I mean, so uh, he was on CNN today, and, and he really laid it out. 
I mean, I got to give him credit. A guy by the name of Al Schmidt. Al Schmidt went on CNN and made it very, very clear that this is all bullshit, what you're hearing about uh, Philadelphia, that there's nothing to this, that if there was, he would know about it and he would be the first to investigate it. And here's what it sounded like when he went on uh, CNN to, to lay down some truth. And I ask you this, not just as a city commissioner, but as a Republican city commissioner, given what we, where we are right now, what evidence of any widespread fraud have you seen in the count in Philadelphia? I have not. If evidence of widespread fraud or evidence of any fraud at all is brought to our attention, we take a look at it and we refer to it, refer it to, to law enforcement, as we always do in every election. I have seen the most fantastical things on social media, making completely ridiculous allegations that have no basis in fact at all, and see them spread. And I realize a lot of people are happy about this election, and a lot of people are not happy about this election. Um, I, I, one thing I can't comprehend is how hungry people are to consume lies and to consume information that is not true. What information is not true, to be clear? Just the other day, uh, I saw something that had a, it was a long list of people that they said were dead voters who voted in Philadelphia. So when we took a break between everything else that we're doing, we looked it up, each one of them, to see what their vote history was. Not a single one of them voted in Philadelphia after they died. It's one of these things that kind of bounces around out there, that echoes around, that people say from one to another, they heard something, or they heard from someone who saw something that they think might have been X, Y, or Z. And it's really, it's really impossible uh, to keep up with those. Now, be clear, I refer to him as the police commissioner. He's a city commissioner, uh, Al Schmidt. But that is that is incredibly powerful coming from a Republican in Philadelphia saying this is all bullshit. Now, of course, I'm sure he's going to be excommunicated now because he just committed a sin within the Republican Party. I mean, you're not allowed now as a Republican to condemn the unsubstantiated allegation of voter fraud against Donald Trump. That is now part of the religion. He said it again. And I believe that Al Schmidt is telling the truth because I've seen no logic. I've seen no evidence of it. There would be massive amounts of evidence of it. Here's what really happened in Philadelphia. The margins almost everywhere in the state were slightly better for Joe Biden in 2020 than they were for uh, Hillary Clinton in 2016. Why is that? Because you had an increase in turnout because of mail-in balloting and because Trump lost a significant number of suburban moms outside of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Correct. That's exactly what I told you was going to happen, and that's exactly what happened. It wasn't a huge number, but it doesn't take a huge number. When you have the other side increase their turnout, but one, because they're pissed off, and two, because it's easier to vote. And when you lose a segment of your key voting demographic, even by just a little bit, it's going to translate into a big difference in the numbers. So 
a you know forty some thousand vote victory in 2016 turns into what looks like at least a fifty thousand, if not more, loss in 2020. And to be clear, 40, 50, 60,000 votes, yes, Pennsylvania's big state, is not that close. It is not in the realm of, okay, voter fraud uh, might have impacted the results of the election. You remember back in 2000, the reason why Florida was such a perfect storm was that it was going to decide the election on its own. See, in this case, we need you know, Georgia to flip if you're, if you're a Trump fan. You need Arizona to flip if you're a Trump fan just to get it into Pennsylvania. But Florida in and of itself was deciding who the next president of the United States was going to be between George W. Bush and Al Gore. And the, the, the differential was less than 1,000 votes almost immediately. Like the next day or two, it was less than 1,000 in a state that's larger than Pennsylvania. So... The idea that somehow, wow, this is just such a razor thin margin and, uh, you know, therefore, uh, you know, this is this is this could have gone either way. And this is still up in the air. It's just not true. It's just utterly absurd. It's just flat out ridiculous, especially without any evidence. And I can't emphasize enough how important it is that if you're going to make an allegation of this severity, especially coming from the president of the United States, where you're going to influence negatively the faith that the American public, at least half the American public or close to half of the American public, has in the electoral system, which is the bedrock of democracy. If you're going to do that, if that, you know, if you're going to go and you're effectively going to an 11 on the 10 scale, if you're going to go to 11, you better have something to back it up. You better be ready to bring it because you don't make that kind of an allegation without actual evidence because the damage is so devastating. This is effectively like crying false rape. That's effectively what this is. And coming from the president of the United States, where his job is to protect our institutions, not tear them down. And the way Trump has handled this has been even worse than I anticipated. I had very low expectations for Trump. We have talked for many, many months about the potentiality of this scenario where Trump loses, but it's close enough to where he is not forced to admit that he lost and his followers, his Trump cult doesn't do so because their king, their leader told them not to. And this has turned out exactly as we anticipated, only worse. I mean, I have to say that in my own personal experience, I mean, people call me a pessimist all the time. And I, you know, I am in, in a certain degree, but I'm also a delusional optimist at times. I, I like to believe that at certain point people are going to see the light. They're going to come forward and do the right thing. Like, for instance, in my own experience, you know, I spend way, way too much time on Twitter, uh, way too much time. Twitter is a cesspool. I don't know why I do it. I wish I didn't do it. But I respond to almost everybody who interacts with me on Twitter, regardless if they're a real person or not. It's a stupid thing I do. I got to stop it. I probably will stop it once the election is completely faded away. But over the last several months, as I've been predicting that Joe Biden was going to beat Donald Trump, I must have told several hundred Trump fans, good luck with your prediction that he's going to win. You're wrong. Just come back to me after the election is over and admit that I was right. And, you know, feel free, feel free to apologize, right? And that's all I ever ask is just, look, 
I'm telling you I'm right, and you can believe whatever you want, but when it turns out I am right, come back and apologize. Or at least just acknowledge, hey, John, you're right. Sorry I doubted you. Has that happened at all? (laughs) Has that happened even a little bit? No, absolutely not. It has not happened even a little bit. And in fact, the exact opposite has occurred. Now, it's hard to know exactly how and why this happens, and sometimes Twitter does a purge of, of false or fraudulent or bot accounts, and so you never know exactly what's influencing your follower count. But since the election, I have probably lost a 1,000 followers. Almost all of them are surely Trump fans who are not only not apologizing to me but pissed off that I was right about the election and that I have not bought into the utterly absurd claims of voter fraud, which caused the election to be stolen from their hero, Donald Trump. You cannot be serious. That's where we are now. No one will ever admit they're wrong, even when the evidence is overwhelming that they were wrong. And these people, most of them are, you know what? Hillary was kind. Hillary was kind. Hillary Clinton was kind when she referred to these people as deplorables. They are, they're actually worse than deplorables, a lot of them. I love the poorly educated. And they are still hanging on to this idea, this, this fantasy, that their president, their guy, Donald Trump, is being robbed. It's being stolen from him. And it's utterly ridiculous. And I'm not the only one who has, I'm not, I hesitate to use the word suffering because I don't really give a shit. I think it's funny. But I'm not the only person who's being attacked Uh, for having, one, been right, and two, uh, standing up for actual evidence and logic. Fox News Channel, obviously in a far, 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 far grander uh, way than me, is getting destroyed by Trump fans. Why? Why? Because they had the audacity to tell Trump fans and the whole world that he was going to lose Arizona, that he was going to lose Arizona. That was the crime of Fox News Channel. They were the first ones on election night to say that Trump was going to lose Arizona. Trump was apparently so incensed that he had Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, contact Rupert Murdoch, the ultimate head of Fox News Channel, the guy who owns the parent company of Fox News Channel, to complain about the fact that Fox News Channel had called Arizona for Joe Biden. Now, it is interesting to note, and I'll be the first to admit it, that call might have been premature because, you know, it was not backed up by all the other media outlets. The Associated Press did back it up. And the Associated Press is interesting because they're probably the least biased of all the major media. But you had Fox News Channel followed by the Associated Press. All the liberal outlets, they held off. And... You know, that vote total that Joe Biden had, the lead, the margin, has diminished greatly in the days since. But he's still going to win. So it it appears as if Fox News Channel was correct. (laughs) Now, it used to be that being right was the ultimate vindication, right? At least that was the world I thought we lived in. I thought that when it turned out you were right, that mattered. I now believe turning out to be right is a detriment in the media. It is actually a detriment. If what you're right about is not consistent with what your audience wants to hear, that is actually 
a detriment. We're better than that. No, 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 we're not. That's where we are now. And, and this has an incredibly corrosive impact on the news media because they no longer have an incentive to tell uncomfortable truths to their target demographic, to their audience. They're now in the therapy business. They're in the therapy business. It's, it's therapy to give your target demographic what they want to hear. That, and that has an incredibly chilling effect. I mean, do you think that... Uh, and I don't know for sure what the culture is within Fox News Channel, but I would be shocked that if next time around uh, in a similar situation, Fox thinks twice before making a, a, a call against a popular Republican like that. Now, it's possible that they're fine with it because they're done with Trump at the corporate level and they want to try to show the world that they're done with Trump. I'm open to that narrative, but the the larger reality still stands because this is this is emblematic of something that I see all the time in my own life and in, in my observation of the news media where no one wants to tell their audience something that's going to piss them off because they'll unfollow you on Twitter. They'll turn the TV off. They will they'll stop clicking on your, your Internet articles. And it's not good for business. The business model is based on providing therapy, especially in the political realm, for your target demographic. So Fox has gotten absolutely crushed for not just the Arizona call, but also because they have had the audacity to push back, at least during the daytime, against the claims of election fraud. And that's a, that's a sin. Remember, that's, that's now a sin against the religion. You, Fox isn't allowed to do that. They've even cut off uh, the, the White House press secretary when she started going into claims of voter fraud. It is, it is clear that there's a massive disparity between the opinion people on Fox News Channel, the Sean Hannity's, Laura Ingram's, Tucker Carlson's, and the, you know, the so-called news people in the middle of the day when it comes to this issue of are we going to placate our audience and let them believe that the voter fraud is real. The opinion people who make all the money, they're doing it because that's they know that's what their audience wants. They're giving their audience what they want. The news side is still trying to pretend that they're a news organization, and they might even be trying to set themselves up for a post-Trump era so that they have some semblance of credibility here. But it's creating a, a very... Uh, distorted, confusing, and dangerous, in my opinion, uh, situation. And, uh, and, and the reality is that Trump is now causing everybody in the right-wing media and within his administration to essentially pledge loyalty to the king, to pledge loyalty to the king. That's what's happening. Now, normally, a king who was on his way out, who was about to lose power, would not be able to get the pledge of loyalty on something so absurd as a false allegation of voter fraud uh, from people like his vice president, Mike Pence, or his secretary of state, Mike Pompano, or even his wife, Melania. All three of those, by the way, have pledged publicly after having 
some media coverage indicate that, that maybe they weren't on board. They actually had to go overboard to make it clear, no, no, we're, we're still with the king, and, when, and we're, we're buying this whole idea that, uh, you know, this might have been stolen and count every illegal vote. That's their, that's their mantra. Don't count illegal votes. Uh, the, the reality is we're in a unique situation. Normally, before Trump, if you lose a presidential election as an incumbent, other than one, you know, situation many, 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 many years ago, in the modern era, you lose as president, you're done especially at an older age, it's over. Especially if you're going to make a false claim of voter fraud, then you're really done in the post-Trump era, I mean, the pre-Trump era. Well, here's the difference, though. Even though Trump is old, uh, he's healthy, and he now controls the Republican Party. And he is going to be, in all likelihood, if he's healthy and he wants to be, the presidential nominee in 2024. He might... If everything went in his direction, he might even win the Republican nomination in 2024 largely unopposed. That's how much he owns the Republican Party. He owns it more than he owns most of the buildings with his name on them. Correct. And so everyone is still afraid of him. He's about to lose power in two months, although he's still going to have a lot of power for the next two months to do a lot of damage which we'll get to, but uh, he's going to have enormous power going forward. Uh, he still has his Twitter feed with 84 million followers, most of which are cult members. He just got 70 million-plus votes. These are people who have pledged loyalty to him, and they believe that he is, you know, many of them believe he's, he's had the election stolen from him, and he's the Savior. He's the Messiah. And so no one can cross this king because he's still going to have power within the party. You're going to be a dead man within the party. This is almost more of a mafia situation than it is a political circumstance. And so everyone is having to pledge loyalty. And everybody on the opinion side of the media, even at Fox News Channel, in the right-wing media sphere, is having to do exactly the same thing. And it's absolutely pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. And it's dangerous. And it's, it, you know, it, it's getting to um, almost a hilarious uh, degree of, uh, of being sycophants to Trump. Uh, here's an example that happened over the weekend. Now, this is after the election was called on Saturday for Joe Biden, even by Fox News Channel. They finally all called Pennsylvania. In my opinion, Pennsylvania should have been called about a day earlier. But that's really the only impact that Trump's Voter fraud claims had, which is really amazingly impotent when you think about it. I mean, the president of the United States claimed he won an election by a lot and that this election is being stolen from him. He said that. I mean, that is unprecedented in American history. That's third world dictator stuff. He, he, he went to an 11 on the 10 scale, maybe a 12. And it really only impacted the media for a few hours. Instead of calling it Friday night, they decided to wait until Saturday morning or early afternoon. That's all the influence Trump had. That's all the time they gave him to potentially come to his senses and concede before there was a victory speech. I mean, that's unprecedented that there was a victory speech by Joe Biden before there's anything close to a concession, either publicly or privately, from Donald Trump. Unprecedented and completely inappropriate on Trump's part, but also I think, and I wrote a column about this, which you can find at Individual One Pod, 
about how utterly impotent this showed Trump to be. He had no power to influence the sequence of events here. None. And so they call it for Biden. Biden has his big celebration where across the country, Democrats violated social distancing as if there was absolutely no pandemic whatsoever. You cannot be serious. We'll get to more of that shortly. But uh, so so the, to the world and many of the world leaders immediately embraced this to the world. This is over. And here the next day on Fox News Channel, this is a clip from a host I'm not that familiar with, a guy by the name of Steve Hilton. And talk about being a sycophant. Talk about trying to create a narrative to to back up your king. He's talking with a, a, a Republican congressman who's a big Trump supporter, Matt Gates, And they're trying to make the argument that, well, wait a minute. And this is related to the voter fraud claim in a weird way. They're trying to make the argument that, well, look, uh, the Republicans did very, very well down ballot nationwide. They actually picked up seats in the House of Representatives. And it looks like. They may, and I underline may because I'm not convinced this is going to happen yet, even though that's the conventional wisdom. They may have held the Senate. This was actually a a good day for Republicans. And guess who gets the credit for that? (laughs) That's right. Donald Trump gets the credit for that. And so here's what it sounded like on Fox News Channel with regard to trying to concoct this bogus uh, upside down narrative of Trump's influence on the vote and what it means going forward in the Republican Party. And quick last comment from you, Matt. I mean, I just want to reemphasize when 2018, Donald Trump not on the ballot, not such a great night for Republicans. Now that he's on the ballot, the results were totally different. He helped achieve these results in the House. He may be on the ballot yet again. If Donald Trump is eligible, he may run for president in 2024. And let me be the first to say I'd be right there with him, fighting alongside him. He still gives us the best chance to win, and he may be a candidate for the presidency yet again. (laughs) So there you have it. That is now going to give total palpitations to everyone on the other side who wanted their great repudiation. Not only did they not not get the great repudiation, Trump's not going away. All right, thank you both. So wait a minute. Trump loses by the same margin he said was a landslide victory four years earlier. And somehow this is a great victory, a vindication for Donald Trump. You cannot be serious. That's where we are now. That's a cult. That is a fucking cult right there. Let me tell you the reality. Republicans got crushed in 2018 because there was enormous frustration and anger among Democrats against Donald Trump. And the only vehicle that Democrats had to express that anger was to vote against Republicans in the midterm election. And so Democrats turned out in huge numbers and Republicans lost the House of Representatives, which they had held for a significant period of time. They lost it because of Donald Trump. That's why they lost the House. If Hillary Clinton had been elected in 2016, there's not a chance in fucking hell Republicans would have lost the House of Representatives in 2018. They lost it purely because of Donald Trump, period. End of sentence. Correct. And it's absurd to try to spin it that no, 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 that happened because Trump wasn't on the ballot. Bullshit. And the idea 
that somehow because Republicans did better in 2020 when Trump was on the ballot, that that's a vindication of him is completely absurd because here's the difference. Now, bear with me here. This is probably very difficult for Trump supporters to understand. I love the poorly educated. But when you went to the ballot in 2020, guess what there was the option to do if you hated Donald Trump? There was the option to, wait for it, vote against Donald Trump specifically and to vote in favor of Joe Biden. And if you were one of those people who hates Donald Trump, but you fear giving Democrats all the power in the world, especially in the age of COVID, guess what you could do? You could vote against Donald Trump and express how much you hate him, but also vote for the Republican down ballot. This is not difficult. There, there are a lot of people that fell into that category. And that's not evidence of voter fraud. In fact, and even my father, who's not a hardcore Republican at all and hates Donald Trump, he mentions to me the other day, he says, how in the world can they be claiming voter fraud when Republicans did so well down ballot? Where was the fraud there? Why did they only try to steal the presidency? They didn't they didn't get rid of they could have they could have given Joe Biden, in theory, a, a, a majority in the Senate. And, and they could have increased his majority in the House. So why in the world are Republicans doing better down ballot? That's a hell of a conspiracy you're trying to create now. It makes absolutely no sense. And again, there's no evidence of it because it didn't happen. And I believe this is going to have a major impact. Under the best circumstances, this is going to have a major impact on what happens over the next couple of months between now and January 20th, when Joe Biden takes the oath of office. I mean, there is so much that can go on. And I referenced this in the column that I wrote, which you can find it at Individual One Pod. I wrote it for Mediate uh, yesterday. There's so much that can go on. My God, the defense secretary has already been fired. Mark Enders. And he actually said that if his replacement is a Trump sycophant, quote, God help us all. You cannot be serious. God help us all. That's what he said. This is this was Trump's defense secretary. I mean, how in the world are we going to possibly deal with a potential national security issue in the next two months when we have a president who's lost so much credibility, so much moral authority, he can't even get Fox News Channel to do his bidding? How's he going to get the military to do his bidding if something serious happens? Not to mention all the pardons that are going to happen, all the firings. People are concerned about him giving away national security secrets because he has no guardrails anymore. I mean, it is going to be batshit nuts, especially once he is fully accepted that he's going to lose. And I think, you know, for me, my dog in this hunt is I desperately want Republicans to be controlling the Senate because that is a check on Joe Biden, at least to some degree, well, could be to a very major degree. And right now, Republicans have a chance to get 52 votes in the U.S. Senate if they win both runoffs in Georgia. And I'm exceedingly concerned that uh, they're not going to win both runoffs in Georgia. And who knows, they could even lose both runoffs in Georgia because Trump is going to either directly or indirectly sabotage the Republican efforts there. He's already done so indirectly. 
because both Republican candidates have put out a joint statement condemning their own Republican Secretary of State for somehow rigging the, they didn't use this term, but the implication is somehow rigging the Georgia election against Trump. You cannot be serious. So this is how much of a cult it is. This is how much those candidates are terrified of pissing off Donald Trump. They're going on record criticizing their own state Republican secretary of state because they're afraid if they don't, Trump might sabotage them. And let's be clear, Donald Trump could sabotage either one or both of those Republican candidates with probably just one tweet. Just one tweet uh, that that gets his cult, uh, you know, just enough of his cult because it's going to be close in Georgia regardless of the circumstances, one tweet from Trump and his cult is deactivated on behalf of those Republican candidates and either one or both of them lose. And they're in an almost impossible situation because they need Trump to energize his cult. Ideally, they need him to come down to Georgia to do rallies. How the hell are they going to do that? What is the, the incentive for Trump to do that? Trump is going to be pissed off at Georgia because he feels betrayed that they voted against him. He's going to be uh, uh, humiliated by his loss. He doesn't give a rat's fucking ass whether or not Republicans control the U.S. Senate going forward. In fact, he might even have an incentive for them not to control the Senate going forward because if he's thinking about 2024, the more chaos Biden can create, the better for him. So I am exceedingly concerned about what's going to happen uh, in Georgia and the havoc that Trump is going to create uh, because of his own narcissism and his own uh, selfishness. And so basically, uh, you know, Katie bar the door at this point. Anything is possible going forward in the, the next uh, couple of months. It's going to be it's going to be nuts. It's going to be absolutely crazy. Uh, and uh, and I think we're going to see things that we never thought uh, were conceivable before in the uh, the American electoral system because our founding fathers never anticipated someone like Donald Trump being in this position where they're a narcissist, they're, uh, uh, they've, they've got a cult on their side, uh, they don't give a shit about the country, uh, they're only about themselves, and the election was close enough to where they're going to claim that it was stolen from them and they still have eligibility to run again in the future. I mean, it is a perfect storm of circumstances that uh, are, are going to get potentially crazy. Boy, that escalated quickly. We prob- we've probably not seen anything yet. I'm hoping I'm wrong on this one. But it, I, I think uh, there's a good chance we haven't seen anything yet. Now, obviously, all this is happening in, in the uh, era of the pandemic. The numbers have gotten much, much worse here in America and across the world, which, you know, in a logical world should work in in two different directions, both against people like me, as well as against people who have been in favor of lockdowns. I'll I'll mention something about that in, in a moment. But I did find it particularly interesting and quite illustrative, quite illuminating. Uh, how the, the celebrations of Joe Biden's victory were handled by the news media and by his supporters. Let's be clear. His supporters have been, Joe Biden's supporters have been by far the most in favor of 
uh, you know, restrictions on anything normal life, restrictions on any sort of events, no graduations, no funerals, you know, protests for, for Black Lives Matter is fine. Uh, but uh, no sporting events uh, being held normally, wearing masks at all times. Uh, you know, I, I told the story in last week's podcast where my heart sank when my daughter and I were canvassing the neighborhood, which normally does our Christmas lights, and the house that started the whole tradition had a Biden-Harris sign in their front lawn, and I knew, oh, my God, we're in big trouble because they're not going to do it. And sure enough, one of the neighbors told us they're not going to do it because they don't want to be part of some sort of potential super spreader event where they're incentivizing people to walk around outside to watch uh, Christmas lights. That's how insane it's gotten. That's how political it is. And so that's what we've been told by Biden supporters and by Biden himself for months. And what happens when he wins? Massive celebrations all over the country. No social distancing. People on top of each other outside the White House. Times Square, I found it particularly hilarious because, you know, on New Year's Eve, I'm sure there's not going to be any sort of New Year's Eve celebration. Times Square, which is usually packed, I'm, I'm guessing is probably not going to have any crowd at all if they even have any sort of an event. Yet uh, when Biden wins, the place is almost as packed as it was, not quite, but almost as, as packed as it normally is uh, for New Year's Eve. And, you know, the news media, which has been completely on board with Biden, completely on board with all the COVID restrictions, even the ones that make no absolute make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Occasionally, even they feel a little uncomfortable about what the, the, the television pictures were showing. And I found it particularly hilarious and very, very telling that as CNN was awaiting Joe Biden to give his victory speech, they were showing uh, live hundreds of Biden supporters in Delaware who were celebrating where Biden was about to give his speech, but they were not socially distant at all. Now, it was dark, so it's difficult to tell for sure how many people were wearing masks and how many were not. Clearly, a lot were wearing masks. It seemed to me as if some were not. But the most obvious issue is this was a crowd that was not socially distancing. And Anderson Cooper, who's a clear lib, and Van Jones, who's an overt liberal commentator, happens to be a black man. I actually like him. He's smart. He's one of the smarter liberal commentators there are, especially for someone who is extremely progressive in his views. So I actually like Jones. But occasionally the truth will sneak out, if only by accident. And it did so in this clip. Because listen carefully, and you always know that Anderson Cooper is trying to spin because he will start to hem and haw. He'll, he'll start to pause. He'll give you the, uh, 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 you know, he's struggling for a way to spin what is happening on the screen. And as he's struggling, Van Jones comes in. He thinks to save the day. But in reality, he actually gives up the ghost on what the entire mask thing is really all about, at least when it comes to Democrats. And here's what that sounded like just before Joe Biden's victory speech on CNN. It's also just so interesting looking at these pictures. It is sort of just the juxtaposition to, you know, crowds not wearing masks uh, at events that we have seen, you know, uh, during the campaign uh, with, with President Trump and to seeing people you know, wearing, wearing masks outside, uh, clearly some are not social distancing, That's they're kind of outside the perimeter of where uh, the, the people who are there to 
I guess they were invited there. Yeah. I, I think but it's, but it's, it, it's, it's just an interesting way of sort of bridging, trying to get people there, but at the same time, trying to enforce some sort of, yeah. Well, it's it, it, like uh, the, yeah, the, the mask versus the MAGA hats, you know what I mean? It's almost like for, for, for us, the masks are a part of signaling that we kind of, you know, get the significance of it. And obviously, uh, both Kamala and, and Biden are, are, are serious about the mask. What? What, 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 what did Van Jones just say? In case you somehow missed it, I, I, go back and listen to that again. Van Jones sa- said that the masks at these events, and to be, so to be clear, Anderson Cooper was trying to say, well, look at, look at how much more well-behaved the Biden people are than they are at the Trump events. Bullshit. The only difference is that many of them are wearing masks in this particular circumstance. And what does Van Jones say? The mask is like a MAGA hat. Make America Great Again hat. The red MAGA hat. What is the MAGA hat? The MAGA hat is a political signal. That is your signal that you're a Trump supporter. He even uses the word signal. The mask is like a MAGA hat, and it is a signal. A signal about how seriously they take the virus. You cannot be serious. So that's what this is. That's what I've been telling you for months. For months I've been saying this is a political signal. That's how it got traction in this country. The mask is a political signal against Trump. That's how it started. That's how it got traction. That's how it became popular enough for the science to suddenly change. Because Dr. Fauci and others like him knew where their bread was buttered. They knew where their fan base was. They knew where the media was. Because two things happened simultaneously. The signal of virtue against Trump and the fear of the virus causing them to grab a security blanket like a child protecting themselves from a monster under the bed. Those are the two things that happened simultaneously. And that's why mask mandates became politically palpable in this country. We used to be a free country. We used to believe in liberty and freedom in this country. Mask mandates were impossible to comprehend until the politics changed. And the politics changed because of the signal. And thank you, Van Jones, for admitting what this was really all about. It's a political signal. And it's hypocrisy to the max that somehow the media has no condemnation of what happened all over the country in the celebrations of Joe Biden's victory, just like they did with the Black Lives Matter protests. And they condemn constantly what happened at uh, Trump rallies where there was also no social distancing and to be fair, far fewer masks. It is it is stunning and it has an enormous impact, enormous impact on the Trump side of the country. The Trump side of the country sees that and they go, OK, this is all bullshit. And to be clear, it's not all bullshit. That's why this is so damaging. You lose credibility When you're claiming science and it's actually politics. And that's the part that's pissed me off probably more than anything. Other than the part that pissed me off most is forcing my kids to wear a goddamn mask that doesn't work. Especially even in outside situations. That pissed me off more than anything. I view that as child abuse. But the reality here is that from a political perspective, this actually does damage. This does damage to the credibility of people who are 
in theory, at least trying to mitigate the impact of the the pandemic. And, you know, and that has consequences, has huge consequences going forward. Now, we did get and speaking of the Trump fans having no reason to believe that this all wasn't some sort of scam intended to to disrupt Donald Trump's reelection. On Monday, we had the ginormous announcement that Pfizer, along with a German company, guess what? We have cracked the code. We now look like we're going to have a vaccine. It's over 90 percent effective, over 90 percent effective. And it could be very, very soon. Now, when I told my wife this and my wife has become far more of a of a Trumpster, more of a MAGA person than I ever realized. I don't know if she was hiding it for four years or whether or not the covid situation uh, increased her her, her MAGA ness. Uh, maybe it was a combination of what of all those. You know, she was very, very, very disappointed that Trump lost. Far more disappointed than I ever anticipated. But when I told her about the vaccine news on the Monday, right after Joe Biden was declared victor, her first reaction was, "This was all part of the plan." You know, she went right to the conspiracy theory. She went right, and she's not a conspiracy nut although she's a little more bit nutty than, her, than I thought she was, but she's not a conspiracy nut. Uh, she's a rational person. She's a smart person. Uh, she went right to this was all part of the plan. And there have been many, many people who thought, you know what? Uh, as soon as the election's over, everything's going to change on the pandemic. I have been one who said, no, no, no. Uh, it's not going to start to change until after the inauguration, and then we're going to need several months where Democrats are going to be able to pretend that they fixed the virus, Trump couldn't do it, we were victorious, and then we can finally get to some semblance uh, of a normal life. And I've thought that it's not going to be till July of next year when we're going to see the first signs of normalcy, because politically that is the time period that makes the most sense, and that gives you enough time to reopen schools in 2021 and get football back together and you know life back together, and it's a July 4th holiday. That's just my theory on how this is all going to go down, and they're going to claim that masks are the reason why, along with, I guess, the vaccine, that they were able to come uh, to a, a, a victory over the, the COVID virus when Trump was not able to do so. Um, but there is no doubt that many, many Trump fans, and it's understandable when you look at how the media weaponized the virus against him, and now the Monday after Joe Biden uh, declares victory, all of a sudden there is uh, this massively good news of a vaccine and, f- and further conspiracy theories are going to be facilitated by the fact that we now learn that the CEO of Pfizer, this is a bizarre story, and I don't understand enough about it to be able to give a full analysis, but just the basic facts of this story are amazing. He sold 60% of his Pfizer stock on the day they announced the vaccine news, which, by the way, was a transaction that was facilitated because of a decision that was made back in August. Back in August. Now, that, that has all the makings of it. Wait a minute. Hold on here. What, what the hell? That's a hell of a coincidence, folks. Uh, it, it, it's, there, I got questions. I don't have answers. I got questions on that one. But the reality here is that now we're going to have this situation. It's all part of this perfect storm where for the next two months, we got to figure out how, what we're going to do with this vaccine. Is it going to be considered to be uh, viable? Is it safe? Is it ready to go? Uh, who, who's going to get it first? And Trump's still going to be president. 
even though, you know, obviously Biden is going to have different views of how to handle this and probably far more credibility with the public than Trump will. So the vaccine is going to be a massive issue to deal with between now and the time that Joe Biden officially becomes president. But in the minds of much of the public, Biden already is president, especially when it comes to COVID. And on the very same day that the vaccine news came out, he announced his task force. And the task force was as bad as I could have possibly imagined. It's all people who are in favor of lockdowns, in favor of masks, who believe that this is the worst thing that's ever happened. They're basically all Fauci and Fauci wannabes. And this has always been my great fear about Biden. He does not understand the virus. He does not understand how we could possibly get out of this. His whole plan, and he has no plan. I cannot stand the fact that he keeps saying, I have a plan, I have a plan. We're going to do it. We're going to do it better than Trump did. And everything he says are things that Trump already did. Every single one, except for wear a mask. That's all. That's the only difference is that he's going to come forward with this bullshit federal mask mandate, which is probably not legal. It's going to cause all sorts of cultural unrest and division and do absolutely nothing. Do absolutely nothing. But that's essentially what his plan is. In fact, he even tweeted the other day that, you know, I'll have my plan all out uh, soon. I'm paraphrasing. But for now, here's what I have to say to you. Please wear a mask. Please wear a mask. That's it. That's the plan. Wear a mask. People are already wearing masks, especially here in California, where the numbers are continuing now to actually go back up again for whatever reason they are. Hospitalizations, no, but cases, yes. And across much of the country, there, Illinois is another perfect example of a place, complete liberal bastion. Uh, the cases are way up. Hospitalizations are up. They're masked up there. They've had very strong mask mandates for a long time. All over the world, we're seeing the same thing. It doesn't work. But it's also a bogus, and it's exactly as I predicted it would be, it's a bogus way of pretending that when this thing eventually goes away on its own and with the help of the vaccine, that they can claim victory. It's purely political. And you know what it reminded me of? Bizarrely, it reminded me of a scene in a very famous movie called A Christmas Story, where the main character, the kid Ralphie, is is so anticipating having cracked this code. He's, he's been working on this for, for weeks and weeks, getting all these secret code messages to crack what the code is uh, in this game that he, he was playing. This is, you know, back in the old days when kids didn't have video games or Internet or anything like this. And so so Ralphie is all excited to finally crack this secret code. And uh, and and what he ends up getting is not at all what he had hoped. He ends up getting a commercial. And that's what it kind of reminded me of was that Joe Biden uh, you know, is, is having us anticipate this great plan that he's been keeping from us to, to save us all from COVID. And the answer is wear a mask. Well, here's what it reminded me of from that scene in A Christmas Story. Yes, yes, yes. Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. Ovaltine? A crummy commercial? Son of a... <laughs> Son of a bitch. Be sure to drink your Ovaltine is the the uh, old equivalent of what Joe Biden has done, which is wear a mask. We, so we waited all this time for this. This grand plan is wear 
a mask. You cannot be serious. That's all he's got is wear a mask. And, and by the way, that's all it's going to take because the media is all on board. So I, I maintain that my prediction about this is dead on that they're going to claim that the mask plus the vaccine and their, you know, implementation of this, even though it's not going to change reality one iota, this is going to be the reason why they defeated the virus that Trump couldn't defeat. And the fact that nobody else could defeat it either is going to be irrelevant. The fact that it's exploding all over the world right now, even in places that had hard lockdowns, in fact, worse in places that had hard lockdowns, is going to be irrelevant because facts mean nothing, logic means nothing, the narrative is everything, and the media controls the narrative, and the media is all on board with the scientific community that's covering their own ass because they were wrong about so much. Now, I am somebody who is more than willing to admit when I am wrong. And occasionally I am. And there is an increasing chance that I and many people who are of my belief system on this have been wrong about the hope that the theory that there was a lower threshold for herd immunity than had been earlier projected uh, could be true. That had been my hope. And I was seeing evidence of that. I was seeing evidence of that in New York, in New Jersey, obviously Sweden being the best example. But there were other areas of this country and around the world that appeared to me as if, okay, wait a minute, why have deaths and hospitalizations stopped? Is it quite possible that herd immunity can be reached with this virus if only 20 to 30 percent of the population has been exposed? There was logic to that. However, I'm the first to admit, because when I get new evidence, unlike people who are invested in a narrative like the scientific community, when I get new evidence, I change my mind. I change my mind all the time, and I admit when I'm wrong. It certainly appears, based upon the explosion in new cases and hospitalizations in many areas, not all, but many areas, both in this country and around the world, that the hope that some semblance of herd immunity could be reached in the 20 percent level is just wrong. It's just not there. The, the data no longer backs up that theory. Now, could it be 30, 35 percent? Maybe. But, you know, there's no sign of it slowing down right now, except and the only caveat I continue to place on this is Sweden. When you look at Sweden, their cases have exploded in the last several weeks. They're still averaging five or six deaths a day. Now, it takes time sometimes you know, normally two to three weeks before you start seeing a major increase in deaths after a major increase in so-called cases or positive tests. I'm not going to totally wave the white flag on herd immunity thresholds being lower than what the scientific establishment told us unless and until Sweden sees a significant increase in deaths. That could happen. That could happen in the next week or two. But until that happens, I'm still I'm waiting. But I'm now becoming much more convinced that 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 theory is at best overly optimistic and could be totally wrong. And I'll tell you what really had a major, major impact on my lack of confidence in the lower threshold herd immunity theory. It's not just because of the explosion of data here in the United States and around the world as we get into the colder weather in much of the world and here in the United States, and this becomes flu season, which may have a major impact on why the data is exploding. Well, well maybe someday we'll find that out. I'm, I'm skeptical about that part. But here's the part that really diminished my, my uh, confidence. Almost all 
almost all of the so-called team reality here in the United States that has been making the argument that herd immunity could be reached based upon the data at a much lower threshold than the scientific community was telling us, almost all of those commentators on Twitter also went at least partially, if not all in, on the Trump got robbed voter fraud narrative. They almost all got schnookered by that. It's just flat out ridiculous. And so that immediately diminished my confidence in them to an extraordinary degree, to an extraordinary degree, because if they're that wrong and they were that willing to buy into a bullshit narrative because it fit their political, the political prism through which they see things, in other words, they're pro-Trump. First of all, being pro-Trump to begin with should have given me more pause for concern than, than, I, than I originally gave it. But I was thinking, okay, the only reason why they're able to see it is because they're not pro-Biden. Well, now I'm thinking, whoa, 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 hold on a second. These people are almost all in the category of Trump's getting robbed to a certain degree. You know, you know some are just you know, playing footsie with the theory. Some are all in on the theory. And so it has eviscerated their credibility with me. So now I'm going purely by the data, and even though there's massive problems with the data, the data sucks. We've talked about that constantly. I am now, I don't, I'm not waving the white flag, but the white flag uh, has been constructed, and it's by my side. So, so I am very close to waving the white flag on the lower threshold herd immunity theory. And I would be happy. I would be happy to make this deal. I will be fully willing to 100% admit I and others were wrong about the lower threshold herd immunity theory if the hard lockdown people would be willing to admit they were wrong about the net impact of hard lockdowns. Unfortunately, there's no way they're going to make that deal. We're seeing it all over the country, all over the world, where we've learned nothing in eight months. We've learned nothing. Lockdowns don't work. They don't stop the virus eventually. You can run, but you cannot hide. You can pay me now or you can pay me later. The virus is going to do what the virus is going to do. You might be able to influence it a little bit in the short run, but in the long run, you're paying a very dear price, both economically, culturally, and medically. They do not work. And there are many medical officials and scientists who are trying to make that argument. The media, of course, is trying to ignore them. But if they're willing to admit they were wrong about the impact of hard lockdowns, I will be the first to admit I was wrong about the theory that herd immunity could be reached at a lower threshold than what we were originally told. I would be glad to make that deal. My view is I'm far more honest than they are. I'm willing to change my mind based upon new information. I doubt they are, unfortunately. Now, as far as where we're headed from here, things are going to get crazier, in my view, as far as Trump and this transition. I don't see him conceding anytime soon. I would still like to believe eventually there will be a concession because it's incredibly important for a number of reasons. As far as this podcast is concerned, our original plan was to go through to the at least the inauguration or maybe even change this podcast into something different going forward. I don't know what we're going to do. Here's the only promise I'm going to make you. We will do this podcast in some form or another, uh, whether it's continuing on Wednesdays or potentially on weekends till at least mid-December 
when the votes are certified. And at that point, you would think Trump would eventually, uh, if he's going to, provide some sort of concession. But this is not going to be the last episode of the Individual One podcast. I don't know how many more we're going to do. It might only be three or four, uh, but we will go into December. At least that's the current plan. And so you have that to look forward to. As is always the case, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual the Number One Pod. Until next time, which we expect to be next Wednesday, my name is John Ziegler. Thanks for listening. This is the Global Story Network.